So over the next four weeks, we're going to look how Jesus transforms ministry. And today, we'll see how a Jesus-centered view of life changes your perspective on tough times, tough people, and tough things. When Jesus becomes the core, he changes your whole view of suffering. When you accept Christ, it changes everything, including how you view trouble. And it will lead you towards hope and a deep commitment in the midst of pain. When I first started reading this and looking at the notes that Paul had sent me, um, I, I kind of thought in my head, you know, Paul always chooses the greatest times to leave on vacation. <laughs> we're, we're talking about suffering this morning. Um, and I, I've heard some tough times, even in, in the prayers of the people, of sickness, of death, of a tough year, of keeping up with life. And so I'm hoping that uh, this morning we can look back at this last year, we can reflect on what has happened, where God has brought us up until this point, and we can even reflect on suffering in this last year. So let's read Colossians 1.24 to 2.8. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known. The mystery, hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in, G in Christ. For as I toil, toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. This is the word of the Lord. So our focus this morning is going to be on verses 24 to 26. So you can kind of stay in those few verses. Um, and as I get started, I'm going to ask Sadie and Abigail, could you guys pass these out, please? We're passing around cards. Uh, much like the last section of our series, um, these have some verses that we're going to be sitting in in the next four weeks. Um, so have these with you. Put these in a spot, uh, maybe not in your car while you're driving, but maybe in a mirror when you do dishes, in a spot that you're going to look at it every single day. And let these words... Um, 
be stored in your heart and let them affect how you do your life. So as I said this morning, uh, we're going to be talking about suffering. And as I was preparing for this and kind of reflecting on my life, I was looking back at my early Christian walk. And I would say that when I became a Christian, I had a really selfish faith. My level of faith was based on how I felt. So the better I felt, the more faith I had in God. The worse I felt, the less faith I had in God. It was very me-centered. It was not Christ-centric at all. And I realized that in my life that that's diminished, which is great. <laughs> I'm realizing that my faith, faith exists outside of my feelings. And it's through the work of the Holy Spirit, coupled with an understanding of God's word, that allows us as fallen humans to move towards God's grace offered to us through the saving works of Christ Jesus. It's not something we can do by ourselves. Without releasing your life to Christ and knowing him as your core, not much of what I'm going to say next will make sense. In my early Christian years, this was a really hard concept for me because I still thought my life was mine. And this brings us to our first point. Our first point is that this is not just about me. Christ coming to earth wasn't just to save me. Ultimately, he came to earth so that he might receive the most glory. So when is the last time you rejoiced in suffering? Like in the midst of suffering, in that dark time, in the part of your life where you just thought nothing else could go wrong because absolutely nothing has gone right. When is the last time you truly rejoiced and praised God in that moment. I know oftentimes, kind of after the fact, we have these moments of clarity. When you see why your suffering happened, some things fall into place. You can maybe connect with someone who has suffered in a similar way, and at that point, you can kind of rejoice and say, thank you, God, that I had that experience, because now I can connect with this person on a deeper level. But that's usually after the fact. During the suffering, it's hard to rejoice. But with Christ at the core, you recognize that you serve a risen Savior. And he didn't come to earth with no plan. He didn't come down saying, ah, we'll see what happens. He came to earth knowing exactly what he was doing, knowing exactly what has happened, knowing exactly what will happen. That is the God that we serve. And when you realize that, suddenly, it's not about you anymore. It's about him and what he has for your life. Often pain and suffering has this innate ability to turn us inward. It turns us away from our friends. It turns us away from our family. It turns us away from support because we think we have to deal with it because it's our struggle. You may find yourself throwing yourself a pity party that might be in your room by yourself. Um, or this inward suffering can slip as deep as something as depression. But God uses it for his good. He uses it to make his word heard. Paul has, in this section, um, I don't know if I could write this in my life, what Paul has written here. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. In my flesh I am filled up I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. 
Paul has a complete lack of self-interest here. There's not one word in there that makes much of Paul. Nothing. If anyone has a reason to become defeated and depressed, I would say Paul has a pretty solid case for that. He has a pretty solid case to just be like, you know what, I'm going to retreat to myself. I'm going to feel sorry for myself. I'm going to cry a little bit. I'm going to watch some sad movies, right? He has every reason to do that, to pull back. But instead, in his life, um, he pushes forward. He has been shipwrecked, not once or twice, but at least four times. He was imprisoned, neglected, ignored, made fun of, and rejected by a lot of people. But he didn't despair in his circumstances. He didn't focus on what was happening to him. Rather, he rejoiced in serving his risen Savior. He's rejoicing in his sufferings because he sees it as joining with Christ's sufferings to make known to believers and to non-believers the gospel. Because of his suffering, Paul had an amazing opportunity to minister. Think about those jailers who came to Christ because Paul was their prisoner. Or the, the sailors on the ship when they shipwrecked, that he, he basically kind of took over. Think about the people that he reached because of the crappy circumstances that he had that otherwise may not have ever been reached. I also want to say real quick here, because this part really hung me up and Todd helped me through it a little bit. Um, when Paul says that uh, in his flesh, uh, in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, Christ doesn't lack anything. All right, Christ is not lacking, and Paul knew that. What Paul is saying here is, I'm willing to finish what Christ has started. I'm willing to suffer for this gospel. I'm willing to say, yes, I am a follower of Jesus Christ, and I'm going to stand firm on that, and I will take anything you can throw at me because I am committed to furthering his gospel in this world for his sake, for his glory, not for mine. That's what Paul is saying there. kind of makes you think of the Great Commission and how well in your life you're carrying that out. That was a struggle for me this week, I won't lie. <laughs> um, I work in a at a Christian camp. I'm an elder at a fantastic church. I might be a little biased, but it's fantastic. Um, I have a family who loves Jesus, who asks me to read the Bible every night if I forget. Um, I don't have a lot in my life where I go out intentionally to people who will be hostile toward the gospel. And that has been a struggle for me. I won't lie. But I realize that in those sufferings, in those times, we are still called to cling to Christ. And it brings us to our second point. The second point is my suffering could have eternal purpose. My suffering could have eternal purpose. And you don't need to turn there, but we're going to read out of Romans 5. <coughs> Excuse me. Romans 5, um, verse 3. says, More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. 
So suffering has a purpose. It creates in us endurance, character, hope. And hope reminds us of God's love that has been imparted to us. And the Holy Spirit, who has been sent to us to live in us. So that is a purpose of suffering, a reminder. Something that creates endurance, character, and hope in us. But how quick are we to kind of look at suffering in two other ways? When I was thinking about suffering and kind of defining suffering, two ways of dealing with it came to my head. And it might be different for you. But the first thing um, is that I am really good at taking minor inconveniences and making them into personal suffering. Right? So your favorite fill-in-the-blank is gone, and now you have to live without it. Ugh. Right? That's not suffering. A restaurant doesn't have the meal that you were hoping for. Not suffering. We can take minor things and create suffering from them. And the reason that that happens so easily is because we become self-absorbed. We think that it's the worst thing in the world when it's not a big deal at all. The biggest deal in this is that when we, you know, are just freaking out about something not going our way, the biggest deal isn't that it's not going our way, it's that we can't see our own self-absorbedness in that moment. We still think people are here to serve us. The second thing, when I was thinking of suffering and how we deal with it, was that we think our suffering is God's fault or a form of his punishment, and that's not true. I want to say clearly that God is in control. Nothing happens outside of God's purview. God knows our suffering. He knows our pain. He also knows our joy. He also knows our heart. He also knows our wants. He knows everything about us. God is in total control. There's no decision that we can make that'll surprise God. He's not sitting there going, oh, I hope Nathan says yes when Paul asks him to preach. He knows it. He knows what the answer is going to be well before I do. The thing is, God doesn't allow anything to happen without a purpose. And how we respond to that suffering is what will make the difference in our life. Do you see God's pur purpose in it? Or are you going to choose to blame others and or God for your suffering? Do we believe that suffering produces fruit in our lives and therefore endure it in the power and strength of Christ? Um, you know, Paul says that he is doing this in all of his power. Not Paul's power, but all of the power of Christ. Are we looking at it that way? Or are we still believing and hanging on to our lives being ours and therefore blaming others for the poor circumstances in our lives? Paul affirms in this section that suffering has a purpose. Rest assured. And that purpose is for the sake of the body. It's for us. Christ left us to do work here. He didn't say, you know what, now I'm going to go to heaven and you guys just chill in the field, cranking your necks up to the sky and wait for me. He said, go and make disciples of all nations. 
This isn't a waiting game. This isn't us going, okay, God, I have salvation. Now it's just passing the time until you come back. No. We are to, to join with Christ, to spread his word to all the nations everywhere we go. This is not an easy or a light task. And Jesus never said it would be easy or light. In fact, he told us that others would persecute us because of his name, the simple name of Christ. Because we proclaim Christ in our lives, people are going to hate us. Jesus told us that from the beginning. But we're to rejoice in that suffering because that's our partaking in Christ's suffering. If you think that Christ had it easy on earth because he was, he's God's son, you need to reread the Gospels. Jesus didn't have an easy life on earth. He was tempted in the desert. He was scorned in his hometown, falsely accused, spit on, whipped. His followers denied and even left him. And he was killed wrongfully. And he did it all without complaining. Did you notice that in those books? In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus never says, God, what have you done? This is horrible. You know, the restaurant didn't even have my favorite figs, and now I have to hang on a cross. No. Jesus knew the plan from the start, from the beginning of time. And he came to earth, and he suffered, and he died for our sake. And now we have the opportunity to join in that suffering for his sake. Suffering can look many different ways. But at its core, as I said, I was trying to define suffering and what it looks like in my life and, and define it for us as Christians. This is what I came up at. The core, suffering is standing up for Christ with boldness, no matter the negative cost to your personal life. That negative cost might be a loss of relationships. It might be a loss of financial resources or financial opportunities or some other loss in your life because of Christ's name. It may be imprisonment. It may even be death. But are you willing to, to be bold in teaching God's word? If you are, it will have eternal purposes for you and for others. God's word is powerful. God's word has the ability to transform hearts in ways that we never will be able to do. And we have a singular purpose in life. As Christ's followers, we are to spread his word. And this brings us to our third and final point. My ministry is to make the word heard. My ministry is to make the word heard. Our life is to be ministry. Christ charged us to go and make disciples, right? To do that, we have to make our whole lives ministry. Doing ministry doesn't have a switch. You don't get to switch the flip, off, flip the switch off when you walk into your house and say, okay, I'm home. I don't need to worry about ministry. I can watch whatever I want to watch. I can read whatever I want to read. I can look at whatever I want to look at on the internet. I can speak to my wife or my kids any way I feel like because this is my home. I'm the king of the castle. That's a load. Ministry starts at home. You don't also flip the switch on when you walk into church on Sunday morning and pretend everything is okay and pretend that life is just perfect because 
you proclaim Christ and so you don't have any problems, you don't have any worries. We're to join in suffering. Be honest. Be open, especially in church. We're family. This is where family comes together to support one another, to sharpen one another, and to send one another out to continue his ministry in whatever context he has placed us in. So if you have a switch in your life, get rid of it. You need to be on all the time, not just when it's convenient for you. Having that switch on all the time means that you're going to have to transform other things in your life. You're going to have to transform your spending. You're going to have to transform your schedule. Your priorities will probably have to shift. And even your leisure will change. And why do we do this? We do it because Christ is worth it. Every moment of it. The first step to spreading God's word, once you realize that your whole life is ministry, is to know God's word. It's impossible to teach on something you don't know. And you should not do it. (laughs) Because at that point, you're making your stuff up to make yourself look good. You have to know God's word to teach God's word. Get to know God's word intimately, daily, daily spend time in it. I've heard people say, you know, I don't like to put the the challenge out that you read the Bible every day because I know life gets busy and people forget. And so I say, you know, once or twice a week, that's a good goal. No, it's not. It's 10 to 20 minutes a day. How, How much do you spend on Facebook? How much time do you spend watching Netflix? How much time do you spend... Um, reading other books. How much time do you spend whatever, wasting, that you could put towards being in God's word? Refocus your priorities and be excited to spend time in God's word. It shouldn't be a daily grind. It shouldn't be a I have to. Being able to spend time in God's word is an I get to. This is a gift. This is God's holy, inspired, perfect word us. Don't don't let it slip on your priority list. Know God's word. Because when you know God's word, it's not just a knowledge exercise. It's not just, oh, yep, I can recall that. Oh, yep, I can recall that. I can tell you where he says this. The beautiful thing about God's word is that it's transformative. God's word changes you. So let it change you as only his word can. The second thing we need to do as we make our whole life ministry is be open to the moving of the Spirit. Let God completely wreck your plans and then sit back and watch what he does because it'll be way better than whatever you had planned. Your life's actions should look like what you preach. And if they don't, you're a liar. I understand that we all fall short. I understand that we all have sin in our lives. Even as I was preparing this particular three lines, (laughs) as I was typing it, I was like, dude, my actions don't always look like what I preach. So I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I deal with pride in my life. That's probably my biggest number one because the pride sin in my life trickles down into everything else. It trickles into how I discipline my kids. It trickles into how I interact with my wife. It trickles into how I lead others in ministry at Camp Manitoba. It trickles into everything. And so I know I have pride in my life. I'm not saying that we have to be perfect to do ministry. What I'm saying is that we have to be quick to admit that we are sinners 
and that we rely fully on the grace of Jesus Christ that was given to us as a gift and that we don't do it on our own power. We don't do it under our own want or desire or for us to look good or smart or anything. The whole reason we do ministry is so that God gets all the glory. So even in your fallen state, even as you're dealing with sin, whether it's those sweet sins that you continually go back to or whether it's a big sin that you are wrestling with daily, and it's probably a little bit of both, Christ calls you to do ministry. Not on your own, but he calls you to do ministry through his power. Let God change your plans because that will change your life and that will make much of God. So where can we model Christ? We can model Christ at work, at the store, when you're mad. This one got me um, because I have a a little bit of a temper. Um, When you're mad, pray. Before you open your mouth to speak, pray. Pray that God would calm your heart. Pray that God would settle this situation. Pray that you would gain a perspective outside of yourself in this situation. Pray before you open your mouth. That might be preaching just to me, but it needed to be said. Also, listen when people correct you. Oftentimes in my life, when people come to me, say, so Nathan, I've been seeing this, and I really think this is either a struggle or this is something you can change, my defenses go right up. Nope, I've got it. I can do this. Don't let your defenses come up. Listen. Listen to what people say. Because as iron sharpens iron, it is not going to be a pleasant experience, but it will make you sharper. It will make you sharper for the Lord. So listen to other people. Listen to the people sitting next to you here. Listen to other Christians in your lives that can speak truth into your life. So be quick to listen and slow to speak. We stand firm on God's truth because it is the only truth. So be bold. Stand firm and don't make excuses or apologize for God's word. That's kind of lame, so don't do it. Be bold in it. Trust in it. Know that this defines life for us. If Christ is our core, we depend on his sufficiency and we depend on him being sufficient to save us from our sins, then we should know that he can also be trusted in the midst of bad times. He can be trusted when the going gets tough. And trust me when I say, if if you stand firm on God's word, you will encounter tough times. Jesus said it. You will. You will be persecuted. You will be shunned. You will be put out. You will be made fun of. Paul lived it. But trust Jesus to grow you through those times. Rejoice in your suffering for the sake of the body that is the church. Because through those sufferings, we, not just you, we will be built up as a body of Christ, as a local expression of the moving of the Holy Spirit in the Lincoln Way area. We will be built up and sent out to do his will. Don't be another person just getting by in life. Be a Christian who has purpose and direction because you know your life is his and he has a plan for you. So to close, I'm not saying in this with suffering that you need to sell everything and inflict suffering in your life. It doesn't need to be a self-imposed anything. 
What I'm saying is that when suffering happens, not if, but when, when suffering happens, you can either freak out and handle it poorly, or you can trust in our eternal God and suffer with him to make his word heard to those around you. Let's pray.